Welcome to the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express. I'm your host, Chris Otto, coming to you live. Day 11 of the Australian Open semifinals are set to begin. Got both women's semis today, but we are still basking in the glory of a classic match last night. Dominic Team upsets Rafael Nadal in four grueling and drama-soaked sets. The Austrian reaches his first Grand Slam semifinal on a surface other than clay. It was a big moment for tennis. It was a big moment in the Australian Open. And we have the venerable Tennis Hall of Famer Steve Flink here to discuss that match and other matches that have occurred over the first 10 days of the Australian Open with us today. Before we get to the interview, want to remind you guys, you can find Tennis Now on the web at www.tennisnow.com. You guys can find us on social at tennis underscore now. Facebook at facebook.com slash tennis now. And of course, you can find this podcast, which is a member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, on the web. Just Google Lucky Let Cord Podcast. Type that into your iTunes app, Lucky Let Cord Podcast. And voila, you shall find us. Right now, let's just talk about some of this amazing tennis we've seen at the Australian Open. I mean, we've got Roger Federer and Five Set Miracles saving seven match points. We got the Nadal team epic. We got Ash Barty and Garbina Muguruza surging on the women's side. Sasha Zverev, so much to talk about. And who better to do that with than with Steve Flink? Oh, wow. Venerable Tennis Hall of Famer, Steve Flink, Tennis.com columnist. How you doing today? Good, Chris. It's good to be back on with you again. Always enjoy talking tennis with you. Yeah, it's been since, uh, wow, it's been since Wimbledon, which was, gosh, a pretty special time. And look, we're at another pretty special time in tennis, it feels like. How about that match between Rafael Nadal and Dominic Team last night? Well, I think, I think it was a beauty. I mean, you have to look at this as another step serious step in the evolution of team as an all-surface player who is really going to be challenging for, for majors this year, not just this one or Roland Garros, but everywhere, with perhaps exception of Wimbledon. Team was terrific under pressure. You think about it, did something I can't recall anybody else doing to Nadal, winning th- all three of his sets in tie breaks. Okay. I remember Rafa lost a couple to, Rafa, to Roger in the 2007 Wimbledon final, which he lost in five. Federer went, took a couple of those sets, first and third in tie breaks. But it's pretty unusual for Nadal. And I think that, the, to me, the, the, the kind of the crucial turning point of the match and the, that enabled team to move on to take control of it was Nadal served for the first set at 5-3 and had that set point, and team took it right away from him there, won that set in a tie break came back from a breakdown in the second to win that one, that in a tie break despite Nadal recovering from 4-0 back to 4-all. And then finally, team got it done in a four-set tie break after he squandered a, what looked like a, a big opportunity to close it out serving for the match. So I think it was pretty gritty stuff. And he has this amazing ability, Chris, to regroup. You see him get tense. I mean, he knew he played a terrible game when he served for the match. As he said, he gave it away. Yep. But that didn't stop him from buckling down and then getting the job done in that tiebreak. Same thing when Nadal got back from 6-4 to 6-all in that four-set tiebreak when it looked like team was nervous again. 
and he, he, he managed to get across the finish line. I think that's, that's going to be – he may look back one day on that match as one of the most, most critical victories of his career yes. as he started heading toward winning majors because I'm convinced now that he will be winning majors. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think the match was maybe a microcosm for his head-to-head lifetime against Nadal where he's pushing against this barrier, able to get wins in the smaller events here and there. And, you know, he's done a lot of damage against Rafa, let's be frank, but not at the slams, and you could see – how right. difficult it right. was for him to get over that hump, particularly in the fourth set, the forehand that he missed that would have been match point or that was match yep. point, and then yeah, fin- was match point. and yep. then finally to to get to get through uh, the backhand that clipped the tape at seven six. Uh, at, well, at, that was a, that's true. It did, and Nadal looked very distressed by that and understandably frustrated. But you know, it was one of those that it didn't sort of clip the tape and bound up high or anything like that, which Nadal, Nadal probably hoped it would have. It was. It, he deserved it in a absolutely, way because absolutely. it kind of it kind of just grazed the top of that tape and just kept moving. There's so much power on it; it just it moves straight on through. But yeah. I, I think he uh, a couple of things, Chris. Number one, he almost had Rafa at the U.S. Open two years ago. He lost in a fifth set tiebreak. That was a big step too because yep. he showed what he could do on hard courts. Then last spring, beats Roger Federer, gritty three-set win in the final of Indian Wells. Another serious step as he was evolving to do that, to win a Masters 1000 title on a hard court. And now this, and he set himself up beautifully because he's going to play Zarev in the semis, and he's got a 6-2 record. No easy victory there, but you figure that you know, with the head-to-head in his favor, the way he's playing right now, you ha- I give him a, a slight edge going into that semi. Not, not, not decisive, not clear edge, but I give him the edge. No, and we'll get to Zverev in a bit because he's been a big surprise at this year's Australian Open. But I want to stick with this match a little bit because... I think I, I'm wondering what your take is about the play of Rafael Nadal. I saw differ, differing takes on Twitter that maybe he wasn't playing as well as he could. Maybe he got a little bit distracted by the time violation and what was going on with uh, chair umpire or Orly Tort. I'm not yeah. completely sure how we pronounce her last name. But, right, um, right. but uh, overall, my take was that Nadal played really well, did everything he could to get himself back in that match. It wasn't perfect by any means, but I feel like I, I don't know how much more Rafa could have done against what team was putting out there against him. Well, I think Rafa, Rafa's post-match match comments would, would validate what you just said. And Rafa is so honest after his losses. And when he's disappointed with how he's performed, he tells you, as you well know from attending his press conferences, Chris, but he was very laudatory toward team. And he said, hey, I didn't think I played badly at all. He didn't. Let's face it, Chris, this could have just as easily been a four-set victory in his favor if he could have come through in those tie breaks. It comes down to the big points. That's what made team so commendable that he outcompeted Rafa when it counted the most. But by no means did Rafa play badly. I think he made some bad decisions. I think he served and volleyed at some of the wrong times. It was a little surprising to me there. And, mm-hmm. and maybe could have flattened out his forehand more times. But, I mean, we're just being hypercritical. It was a very high-quality match. And not, not a match that I don't think Rafa's going to leave there saying, why didn't I play better? I think he's just going to say, I, I'm going to try to get him next time. That was a terrific match. So... It had much more to do with team's ability to rise to the occasion than Rafa having a problem with the umpire imposing the you know the time penalty or anything like that. I think he, you know, and again, if he could have closed out the first set when he had the set point on his serve, maybe it's a very different match. But that's Absolutely. what makes that's what makes tennis such a that makes the scoring system so fascinating and so compelling is that guys can always make these comebacks and 
And uh, that's what team did. And team was just the, the better player under pressure. As simple as that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What a great match. Wow. Still getting goosebumps thinking about it. Um, um, moving on, though, Alexander Zverev. To me, this is one of the biggest surprises of the Australian Open, if not the biggest. I mean, the form that he carried at the ATP Cup was just abysmal. And here he is now in his first Grand Slam semi. What are your thoughts on his rise to the semis, Steve? Yeah, I mean, as you felt, I was very discouraged about him. He played well in the ATP Finals in London at the end of last year. It seemed like maybe he was pulling himself together. And, but then terrible at the ATP Cup and back to all the double faulting and the, the negativity. He can get so down on himself. I don't think I've ever seen a player of his stature uh, be more obvious about his discomfort when he's not playing well. And, it, and he sort of talks himself into some of these losses, in my view. But no, he's had a great run. And then he starts off losing, gets swept off the court by Stan in the first set last night. Gets killed in the first set, but came back so strong. So... He's certainly on a high coming into this semifinal for sure, despite his poor head-to-head record against Team. And, and in a way, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether he preferred Team to having played a, a Nadal or not. All I know is that he's delighted to be in the semis. And suddenly this long-awaited journey that we've been expecting from him is, is starting to come about. And he'd never been in this far at a major before. And, and uh, I, I like the way he's playing. I mean, it's granted, a slow start last night, but overall... His serve has been excellent throughout the fortnight. Yep, right. And that second set, he bounced back nicely. Uh, I think he won all he of did. the service points, won all 20 of them, including yeah, yeah, making, he did. making 18 of 20 first serves. So that was good to see. Women's side, um, also compelling. Also, uh, really, a lot of interesting things happening, happening all at once. Let's start with Ash Barty, the Aussie number one, the world number one, holding court and playing a really what I thought was a spectacular match against Petra Kvitova to reach the semis. What are you What are you making of her chances to be the uh, to be the first Australian woman to make the finals? I believe it would be since 1980. Yeah, no, I think she's I, I, I think she's been very impressive. She's known that there there was a sense among the public out there. Now, last year they knew she was something of an outside threat, but this year she comes in as the number one player in the world, and they're all really excited and and the the Aussie fans down under uh, getting their hopes up high that maybe she could pull this off and add this to her French Open title of a year ago. And I think she's, she's played great, in some ways gotten better as the tournament has progressed. So it'll be interesting to see whether she, how she deals with the pressure now, now that we're getting down to the home stretch and into the semifinals and wh- how, if she can maintain that, the standard she's set so far. My only concern about her, Chris, is at times I think she can oddly can get overpowered. She knows how to attack. She has great hands at the net, really good volleyer. And nice serve and, and terrific feel off her back inside. But I think there's certain days players can hit through the court against her. That's when she's her most vulnerable. In a way, that happened against Allison Risk at Wimbledon last year. She turned the tables on Allison here at yes. the Australian. But I, I do think she seems very relaxed and confident and n- not uh, preoccupied with others' expectations, just trying to do the best she can for herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that confidence really strikes me. And another player who's been quite confident at Australia has been the 21-year-old American, Sophia Kennan. Um, she'll face Barty in the semifinals. She has been, I guess you could say she started the tournament under the radar. Talk of Serena, talk of Coco Goff, and many other great American women. And now it's Sophia Kennan, the last American standing. Just love the way she plays, Chris. I, I mean, I love the way she played against Coco Goff and in, in, in toppling at Coco in three sets, six, you know, pulled away in that third set yes. after losing a heartbreaking first set. 
And I think she's she shouldn't have been under the radar. We saw how much progress she made last year, and she's really impressive to watch. Hits the ball awfully well off both sides. A, a really tough, tenacious competitor. And I, I think she's not shocked to be where she is, and I think she gives herself every chance. I mean, I think it'll be a very hard-fought match, to be sure. But win or lose, I think we're going to see a lot more of her this year. And she's now, you know, we, we, coming in here as number 14, but I think we're going to see her as a clear top-10 player the rest of the season and going deep into a, a lot of majors. Yeah, yeah, I had that same thought about Kennan. I feel like she's going to be a mainstay in the top 10. I mean, we're just starting the decade. I have a feeling she's going to spend a big chunk of this de- next decade in the top 10. Oh, no doubt, no doubt about it. The question is, can she, can she make that next step into the top five and threaten to win majors? Well, this is a big, just being in the semifinals here has told her something that she didn't know before. Yes. And I think it's a, a lesson well learned. And she may think of herself now in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, a bigger way than she ever has before. Yes. And results like that, you know, they, they, they reinforce inner beliefs, and I think she'll have that going for her now. And I just think her game, I think her game is very impressive. And she's fun to watch, and she moves so well, and she's got all the tools, in my view, to, to, be, uh, to really move up to that next level. So we'll have to see if she can pull it off. Mm-hmm. Steve, I think we're going to flip back to the men's and, and talk a little bit about Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer. But before that, I don't want to leave the women. I want to throw a shout-out to Garvin Muguruza, who's been incredible and very surprising also. I mean, it seems like it's been a tournament of resurgence for a lot of players. We talk about Zverev, Stan Wawrinka was really strong. Garbina has sort of, I don't know if you could say come out of nowhere, but she's really responded well to start the season strong after what was really, by her accounts, maybe a, a pretty dismal 2019 it was. A, that's, that's, that's the only word. Uh, we could come up with variations on that theme, but <laughs> kind of a mystery, Chris, what, what did happen to her last year and even, some, even the year before. I, I, I've always thought that she had such a good, complete game, and she's a big girl, and she, she's got a great ground game and a very good serve, and she's, when she's in the right frame of mind, you know, she can beat anyone in the world. And it's really nice to see that you use the word resurgent. That sizes it up. She's really back on the ascendancy. And I think she, uh, again, I hope that win or lose in the semis, I hope that we see her uh, carry this forward through the rest of the year and, and add to her title and major, add to her, her majors because she's, she belongs in the upper echelons of the sport. This is, I, I, the mystery to me is what happened in the, during that dismal period you mentioned, and, and, and not this. In a way, I'm not surprised. I right. think it should have happened sooner. Of course, of course, a very tough matchup in Simona Halep, who's a player who does right. not surprise right. me at all. It's just been so consistently good over the last two, three years. It's going to be a real tough matchup, wouldn't you say, for the Spaniard? It will, but I mean, see, obviously she's going to be the aggressor. She's going to look to find ways to end points sooner. The longer the rallies goes, the better chance that Halep has to prevail. Muguruza knows that. She knows that she's got to take the initiative early in points, serve really well, and then attack Simona's second serve. Then she could give herself that chance. Obviously, Halep is the clear favorite going in, and she's played a spectacular tournament. Yes, indeed. Okay, Roger Federer, match point miracle. Seven match points down against Tennis Samgren, finds his way into the quarterfinals, but Look who he's got to face next, seven-time champion Novak Djokovic. What are your thoughts on Roger's uh, miraculous win the other night, which was had so much drama and was so much fun to watch? And what are your thoughts, of course, about the matchup tonight between Federer, Djokovic, their 50th matchup? 
Well, he's had a, it, it's been a, it's been a, 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 an astonishing last two out of three matches for Federer, starting with, of course, being eight four down in the tiebreak, fifth set tiebreak against Millman. Never poor Millman, never able to get to match point as Roger sweeps six points in a row to pull that one out. That was that was stunning. Sure was. Then he wins a four setter against Fusevic, but then in this latest match against Tennis Sandgren, he's down two sets to one and saves those you know those those three match points at four five in the fourth, and then uh, say it comes back from six three down in the tiebreaker, saves four more t- match points in the breaker. Uh, I mean, it w- it was amazing that he never missed under pressure. As he said later, he could have shanked at any time, but of course. In, what he was doing was playing not to miss because he figured in both, same thing with Millman. He, he played it pretty much the same way against. He didn't try to get fancy in either case or go for too much against either of those guys on the critical points. He just said, okay, I'm a, I dare you to find a way to beat me. If you can do it, if you can hit the winner now, good for you, we'll go up and shake hands, but I'm not giving it to you. And Federer, of course, doesn't really like to play that way most of the time. He likes to go for his shots, and he trusts that he can pull off the winners and be the aggressor. And that's how he wants to play. And so that's what made it so interesting to me is that he dug in and decided, okay, I'm just not going to miss and didn't. Now, in turn, if Sandgren had not bungled so many, you know, I'd say four or five of the match points I blame on tennis because he didn't execute well under yep. pressure. But it was in, in remarkable poise under pressure from Federer. The question now, Chris, is that, you know, he had an issue with his groin. He left the court. He didn't know what his condition was when he left the court. He knew he felt better toward the end of the match. He wasn't sure how serious the injury was. If it was, if it's really serious, obviously maybe we get an announcement sometime, you know, a couple hours before the match that he's not going to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's hope that's not the case. If he goes out there, we've got to believe that he thinks that he can compete in a best-of-five set match against the seven-time champion. And, and then it'll be interesting if he is feeling better physically. It'll be interesting if they, they're supposed to get much warmer does that help him? It's a night match, but it'll still be hot, which could help his serve some. Yep. But in the end, you're still facing Djokovic, who's in top form. You're not facing a Djokovic who's struggled. Djokovic losing one set in the first round against Struff, and then nothing since. He's been really solid as a rock ever since. Yeah. And looked look good against Schwartzman, looked good against Raonic in the last round, and had that issue with his eyes at the end with his contact lens, but that yes. was about the only thing that impaired him. And so Roger knows. He knows by look. He's watched these matches. You can bet he's seen some of that. He knows how well Djokovic is playing. So, and he hasn't beaten him at best of five since Wimbledon 2012. You know that's the last major he beat him, and that's a long time. And that's seven and a half years. So, you know, obviously all signs pointing to Djokovic, but it's been a miracle run. And I and Djokovic has always, if Federer is playing well and healthy. He's going to have to deal with the, the, those uh, vociferous Federer crowds that are always there yep. that make it very, very difficult for Novak because it's not that he's, he, you know, he, he usually can get at least a modicum of crowd support. There's an appreciation for his greatness, but when he plays Roger, it gets almost frenzied, and that was one of the, that was one of the leading features of his win that you and I watched at Wimbledon last year when Novak saved the two match points in the fifth and beat Roger in a fifth set tiebreak. There was how he was able to deal with these crowds that are just yearning for his opponent to win the match so there's all these variables we have to throw into the equation plus the fact that Federer feels in a way that he's just he knows he's had this miraculous run and he's as he said after the after beating Sandgren I'm you know I should be maybe skiing in the Swiss Alps right now but I'm still here so I might as well make the most of it which is kind of a good attitude I think it may make them lose to a point but obviously once they get out there 
then he has he has to produce and he hasn't played at, you know he's he's playing going from playing the number 100 player in the world to the number 2 or ar- who could arguably be number 1 and might get it back if he wins the tournament so yep. Yep. so all these things in the air i mean i i think he, you would say that the the odds are decidedly in Djokovic's favor, but you can never count Roger out. Yes, well said, well said. And I think you hit on it in the last segment there is that it could be a pretty amazing start to the season for Novak Djokovic. All of a sudden looking at three wins from not only winning his eighth Australian Open, which would be a ridiculous record, and he he joined Federer and Nadal in getting more than seven at his, like, you know, what you would call his own major, although Federer does have six here in Australia. But, um... Yeah. Becoming number one would be very big for him. And, of course, you know, um, we're looking at big picture. The big three looking for its 13th straight slam. It looks like either Djokovic or Nadal is going to carry that torch. And what was interesting here is that I, I thought the rest of the field wasn't doing a good job in holding up its end of the bargain. We saw losses, losses by Medvedev and by Tsitsipas. But look at Dominic team making things interesting. So we've got a lot to look forward to and Zarev, this weekend. And Zarev. And Zarev. Goodness, the, I should, the I should. beauty of it is... The beauty of it is, Chris, is that we guaranteed to have one of the one of one member of the big three is in the final automatic, Djokovic or Federer, and then on the opposite half, we're going to get one of this next group that we've been waiting for them to produce, waiting waiting for them to step up to the big occasion, and that's going to be either either Dominic Team or Sasha Zarev. So it it, it it shapes up beautifully for the for the weekend to have it, the draw play out that way. Yeah. Not that it wouldn't have been wonderful to have Rafa face one of his old rivals, but this is just going to set up the season beautifully yeah. uh, to have to have one of uh, the great veterans playing one of the the newer guard. Absolutely. And I think I might have been mistaken and said that Djokovic has three matches to go. I'm not sure, but of course he's got only yeah. two matches to go. Right, right. Um, and yeah, and I guess if you had asked me before last night, I would not have thought that the big uh, that anybody was going to really ruffle the feathers of the big three all season long, but team really changed my view of that with his performance against Rafa. So yeah, what a what a great what a great time we're having down under watching these matches. Oh yeah, and I would and I would add to that, Chris, that I think whoever wins that, whether it's team or Zarev, that either one will be very dangerous in the final. That's what I think it makes will shy away from the occasion. In Dominic's case, he's. He's played those French finals against Rafa, so yep. he's had that experience at least, and it's the toughest experience he could encounter to play Rafa on the clay to have to deal with him there. But uh, and and then in Zarev's case, I think he'd be so excited to finally be in the finals, and I don't. I think he would take have the right attitude of not feeling like there are going to be many more of these opportunities to come, not to panic and just to go out and play. So I think either one of them will be competitive in the final for sure. Yeah, and boy, wouldn't it be a great story if Zverev was playing with that $4.12 million in Aussie dollars ready to get, go to bushfire relief? Yeah, no doubt about it. It's so commendable, so admirable that, he, that he's made that such a, a mission and that he keeps talking about it. And he obviously genuinely feels it and means it. So tells you a lot about him as a human being absolutely absolutely steve flink tennis hall of famer i'm so pleased to get the chance to speak with you for the first time this year and i hope we get to do many more thanks for coming on and let's talk soon let's do it chris and next time maybe we'll even put aside an extra hour we, we never run out of things to talk about that's for sure well, thanks to Steve Flink for coming aboard. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Hope it set the table for you nicely for this weekend's festivities in Melbourne. Women's semis will be starting today. Ash Barty and Sophia Kennan up first, followed by Simona Halep and Garbina Muguruza. In the night session, Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic. Hope you guys enjoy the tennis. Hope you guys enjoyed today's edition of the podcast. We have been... 
the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express. I'm your host, Chris Otto, signing off. Enjoy the tennis. See you next time.